Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gents, we have the most exciting guest on the show today. Eddie Fom has worked in the direct response marketing and TV industries for nearly two decades. His resume includes seven years as the director of materials and vendor relations at Talk America, developing abxcore.com, working in the financial technology space, and in 1999, starting the Product Solutions Group, a sourcing and product procurement organization, which utilizes all the direct response marketing vehicles, such as call center management, media buying, infomercial production, and script writing, amongst many other projects and titles. With his core focus on source manufacturing, product concept, and development, with a keen eye for cost savings, he has grown his expertise in overall campaign management. Mr. Fom has worked directly with both inventors, investors, and agencies to assist in the operations of designing, marketing, and messaging campaigns, product source manufacturing, and operational strategies to best maximize budgets. Over the last two decades in product development, source manufacturing, and transactional marketing, Mr. Fom has worked with brands including George Foreman, Venus Gillette, Magic Bullet, Miracle Peeler, ShamWow, and so much more. With Mr. Fom's extensive experiences in bringing products to market, combined with vast networks of industry contacts for product procurement and manufacturing and marketing, organizations that he calls his clients will have at their disposal the resources required to realize enhanced revenue streams, efficiencies in process, and the expertise to position their brands in the global marketplace. Oh, I only had one slip up. <laughs> it's my pleasure to welcome serial entrepreneur and the chosen family slash mentor of our beloved producer Q, Eddie Fom. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you. Well, it's, it's never Mr. It's just Eddie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank Eddie, you. it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I hate hearing all that. I hate it. <laughs> Tell me why we, this is, you know, it's interesting. This is, we hear that often from guests and this is really our space to celebrate you and for you to impart your knowledge and, and wisdom. And yes, for us to celebrate your resume, but also to talk about the stuff that people don't talk about. Like this is safe space for us to talk about, you know, the things that were hard, the things that were challenging, the things that you actually want to celebrate that maybe not be top of the list on your resume, but have been huge moments in your life that have shaped you. That's what the show is for. Yeah, no, I mean, I love it. I mean, um, as you mentioned, I definitely work with inventors, entrepreneurs, um, people who think they're inventors. And I always tell people, um, why have you invented? They're like, well, I have this idea. I'm like, well, you have an idea. That's not an invention. You know, an invention is less than a dime a dozen. And what makes me valuable to an individual to a company is that I execute. So when you come to me with an idea, I have, I make it happen. I 3D printed it. I help engineer. I help do the schematics. We do the, you know, everything from prototyping to rendering to having the product made in mass production and everything else. So taking it from concept to conception to fulfillment, you know, there's a lot of steps in between going to the factories to audit the, the machinery to make sure that everything is there. I've been to 63 countries in the 90s looking at different manufacturing. And when I started my career back in 92, I thought printing was a copy machine. I thought that was printing. So yep. one of the first products I worked on was called Mega Math Mega Reading by Kevin Trudeau. And um, there was a lot of, lot of um, books involved, um, like instructional books, perfect bound, um, things I didn't know at the time. 
And so we were buying everything out of Irvine, California, and we were in Portland, Maine. So everything was being shipped across the country, $9,000 a week just in shipping. And wow. I, re I remember that. And growing up in the restaurant um, world, my family had restaurants. I was like, you cut, you save as much as you can. If you know you don't buy a bag of fries, you make the, the potatoes into French fries, you know, because that just saves you a lot of money and the margins go up. So I remember asking my partner at the time, I'm like, why do we ship everything from California to, to Maine? It just seems like a waste of gas in time. He goes, well, we can't make it here. I was like, okay, I don't understand. And he goes, if you can make it, let's make it here. And it was literally five little perfect found books with a paper tape measure <clears throat> and a few other things. And um, I saw it. I sent a, a bid out to all the vendors in the area. And one of them came with much better numbers, which were unbelievable, like savings wise. And that I looked at it and was like, oh my God. So we went to Montreal because they were the biggest printer in the world, Quebecor. At the time, they were the biggest printer in the world. And when I saw printing in real life, they were machines that were a quarter mile long. And you mm -hmm. put in a disk, you program at the beginning, at the other end of the machine, it spits out a finished book. And again, I thought printing was a, was a copy machine. <laughs> so I started my career from zero. And I learned everything hands-on on how to make pills, powders, and potions, how to make wonder bras, how to make shaving devices, how to make toasters. I mean, everything. So That's I, amazing. I, I learned, I learned it hands-on. What do you feel keeps you going? What, what satiates your curiosity and your drive in entrepreneurship? Um, I, that's the, the word entrepreneur. Um, I love that people want more in life. Um, people that wake up in the morning and say, you know what, there's just, I have this itch that I got to get out there. A lot of people don't realize, you know, a lot of products didn't happen overnight, like GoPro. That was an 11 year process for him. And, you know, and when it came to market, everybody said, oh my God, this happened overnight. It didn't happen overnight. It was over a decade, you know, and he struggled with his friends and family, you know, saying you need to give up. I mean, it happens and you have to, and I always tell kids that I, you know, I mentor I, when I speak at colleges or wherever I'm doing, don't listen to the noise. Don't listen to the noise. You know, yes, you, you might need their support, but your friends and your family are your worst advocates. And I say this with a whole heart because your mom and your dad, your grandparents, your friends, they love you. So they're going to like, that's a great idea. Ask someone who doesn't like you. Ask somebody who you don't know. Ask a stranger at Starbucks. What do you think about this? You know, then you have a more truer, truer concept and more truer idea of what's happening. Well, I also think that the people closest to you want to protect you, right? So if they see you struggling or if they see you being challenged with something and they think it's too long for them, perhaps, then they might impart, you know, their opinions on I, on you. And I also think that I think this was Sarah Blakely who said this, but ideas, keep your ideas close to your heart in the beginning, because that is when they're the most vulnerable. If you have too much mm -hmm. input in the beginning, then, you know, it might steer you off track from what you know to be yeah. white space in the market. Yeah. I mean, we're, I mean, I, I have that all the time and now I have, you know, somewhat a name in the industry and, you know, I, I have access to a lot of brilliant people and especially when they come to me like, Oh, Eddie, we should build it like this. I'm like, where's the we part? <laughs> You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm anyone that knows me knows that I would just cut it off right there. I'm like, there was no we. You weren't part of the destination. You're part of the party, you know, and mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, you have to take the ride with it, the ride or die. Right. 
travel. How many how many different projects do you say that you're working on at any given time? Um, at least five. At least five. Yeah, in all different stages, you know, from just concept to making prototypes or, or just art renderings or, you know, we're at the process of signing off on the packaging. So right now we're doing an athletic product. We're doing two skincares. We're doing a fintech product and, um, and a new blanket that's coming up. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to go back to the early years. You mentioned that you grew up in the restaurant industry, as did I. Yeah. But um, this is a question that we asked to all of our guests. What was Little Eddie like? Oh, my God. I was, I'm as, same as Big Eddie. Bossy, yeah? loud. <laughs> <laughs> I you love know. that. Yeah, I just had to take charge because my mom, you know, gave me responsibilities as a 12-year-old helper in the restaurants. And, and I was really good in the back kitchen. I'm really fast with a knife. So I was good with numbers. I helped her set everything up. So I just got very good at it at an early age. And um, every, every day I learned something new. So you had the beautiful gift of giving, getting exposure to entrepreneurship from your family. 100%. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't go to school for that. You know, the no. first time I got invited to speak at USC for masterclass entrepreneurship, I personally laughed. I was like, I'm sorry, what do you teach? <laughs> Yes. I was like, I can't spell entrepreneur without word check. <laughs> exactly. You know, and they were like, yeah, we, we teach it now it's curriculum. And I was like, I'm so impressed. So when I did it, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, this is fantastic. So I've done it four or five times now. I did. I, I spoke at Harvard on Zoom um, like three months ago. And that was That's a lot amazing. of fun. Their master class. And I didn't know that um, they did that. I thought they were just a law school. That's amazing. I was never That's smart amazing. enough to get to college, so I'm always blessed to be invited. <laughs> Isn't that so fascinating how so many entrepreneurs, like school is just not their thing. They, they didn't excel at school, so to speak, but in the, in the field, you know, boots on the ground, they're yeah. so successful as you are, and <clears throat> you in inevitably become the people who go and speak. I wonder if having talks with folks who are younger, maybe those who are struggling in, you know, elementary school or high mm. school would be even more beneficial because it's kind of a you know, permission to know that there's another way. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I've always been creative in making stuff. I mean, I had a full scholarship to go to college, but I turned it down to work in my mom's That's restaurant. Amazing. And That's it amazing. was a better choice for me. I mean, um, I have the, you know, the gift to draw and I'm very good at drawing and copying styles. And I had a, um, I had a scholarship um, from Hallmark, actually, you know, in the back of the TV guides, you draw the little turtle. Or the uh -huh. little duck. Well, that's real. That's I thought that was a scam, and I won. So <laughs> they liked my style. And I had to draw it in front of them, different different styles, and I had a scholarship from that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was so weird. <laughs> so that was, you know, out of college. You did have the opportunity to go to college. How long were you working with your mom's restaurant before you branched out on your own? So I was 21 when my mom got rid of the restaurants and she realized it was a good time. And um, when I was like almost 22, I heard an advertisement on the radio basically saying, do you want to be part of a new industry, the 30-minute commercial? And I was like, what the hell is a 30-minute commercial? Because I hadn't watched TV in forever. And I went to the, the address where they were taking applications. It was a small office with six other people behind a computer that I, I've never been on a computer. I know how to work a register, but I didn't know how to work a computer. And um, I got the job. I became the front front desk manager. I helped sort the invoices. And 
that was the perfect position for me because I was really good at organizing bills and talking to vendors and saying, why are you charging us so much? And that's how I, I, I got to a position where I was looking at all these invoices and saying, why do we pay so much in, in California where we can print these books here in, in Portland, Maine, the land of trees? And that launched my career and that made enough money for the company to, to work on the, the biggest project in my career at the time, which was the George Foreman Grill, which originally was called the Slanted Grill. And it was supposed to be the Hulk Hogan Grill. But Hulk mm. Hogan turned it down. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. He says, it, he says it in a couple interviews that he had the opportunity to have a grill. So that, um, that was a seven-year seven year project for you. Mm-hmm. Seven-year position. That's amazing. Yep. So what was it like at the end of your seven years, at the end of your you know, experience there? Then what was the next step in your career? Um, well, the company got purchased by a bigger company out of Europe. And all the executive had a non-circumvent, non-compete, which I didn't know because I was never corporate. And basically they said, you just can't work for two years. And I went to Montreal. At all? Yeah. Or in the industry, in the same industry. In the industry. Okay. And, and I was okay with that because they paid me not to work. And I literally went to Montreal, which was my favorite city in the world. And I basically decompressed because I hadn't had any time off. And I loved it. And then I got back into it. That's amazing. So two years after your, you know, hiatus, after Mm -hmm. that contract was up, then you get back into the field again. Was there a difference in the industry that you noticed from when you left to when you came back? Yeah, it was a thing called the internet. (laughs) (laughs) One of my upcoming questions. Continue. uh, The internet, um, I didn't have an email address except a work one until 2000. I mean, I got an AOL like everybody else, and um, I loved it because it was instant receipt and delivery of a message. And I mean, text messaging didn't exist then. Um, if it did, I wasn't on it. Um, I, I'm a quick learner, and that's one thing about me is that if there's a new technology, I'm going to read everything about it and be the best at it that I can be. And so the internet was coming fast and around. There was a bulletin board at the time. You know, there was no. Google, there was no eBay, there was none of, no YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. So as everything started being developed, I just tagged along and used it. And now, you know, how many years later, 21 years later, since like the true advent, I mean, I think the internet really happened in 96. I wasn't even on it then. I was working. I mean, I was boots on the ground, went to go visit um, manufacturers. I mean, I went to China, I went to Taiwan, Malaysia, wherever it was in the world. Um, so there was no Alibaba where you can get online and say, oh, I just ordered something in Turkey. Well, I went to Turkey. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's so much easier now for an entrepreneur to launch a company or a brand or anything. It's so much easier to get something 3D printed or renderings made because of Fiverr.com and all these other industry leaders. I mean, I tell people, I'm like, use them. It's not, it's not embarrassing that you're using Fiverr. I mean, those are, those are experts sitting at home who created a cottage industry for their you know, for their family, where if they're a graphic artist and they make amazing logos and it only costs you $100 for a person in India to make your logo, that'll cost you 5000 here in the United States. Why would you be embarrassed? Well, you know, it doesn't look professional. I'm like, then find a different artist on Fiverr. So yeah, I, I, use, I even use Fiverr. Yeah, you just got to, yeah, you just got to look, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of things like I'll test before I go hire the big person to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll re- I mean, I'm, you have to read people's 
reviews to see, you know, you have to read reviews. Even when you do Yelp or anything else, you read reviews of a restaurant. Why wouldn't you do that for a professional statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many ways. I love that the concept of no matter um, how big you get, like still getting very lean, still being Mm -hmm. very lean with your expenses and still being very savvy with, you know, where your money goes as your company grows. I think that is the key to success. Well, my whole thing, I I truly believe, I mean, I have friends who have raised tens of millions of dollars. I have one friend, um, I won't say his name because he probably listened. (laughs) He raised $55 million. And because he was in LA, he felt he needed a big office, a big presence, fancy car. And three years later, he filed bankruptcy. And I told him, I'm like, why? Why do you need 300 employees day one? Why? He goes, it looks good. I was like, it doesn't look good. It looks like you don't know how to manage money. So I, I've i never had a big budget to launch a project, but that's why I'm very good at what I do because I keep it lean. Everything I do is lean except me personally. <laughs> <laughs> you keep your business clean so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, I and even if you had a big budget, you should run your company like you have no budget because mm. over budget kills creativity. When you don't right. have money, you find ways of getting things done. Right. It's so true. You mentioned that you work with a lot of inventors. So mm-hmm. I want you to go, I, I want you to expound on that concept of what an inventor is. Maybe if you can speak to some of the inventors that you've met and what they've done and what makes someone an inventor. Yep. So I met um, this guy for Abex Core. You mentioned it in my bio intro, um, abexcore.com. You can look it up. It's an ab machine that, I mean, it's great. He he had a prototype when I met him. He was a young guy, fitness instructor, fitness model, and he wanted people to look at, you know, how they can work on their abs at home. And he heard that I worked on all these other ab products like Abflex and Abpro, and I did. I worked with Body by Jake. And so he found me and basically said, I can't afford you, but can you help me? He was honest. And I was like, sure. I'm like, if you don't take too much time, as long as you feed me, I will help you. <laughs> And we became, we became friends and I just, you know, all I did was make phone calls for him and looked at his man, looked at his manufacturing and other things. And I called because I understand how to make shortcuts and how to, how to design things a little bit better. So his product, his company's, you know, doing well now, you know, and we, be, and I made a friend. That's amazing. That's yeah. Amazing. So I used to, I used to speak at inventor forums like San Diego, San Diego inventors group. I would go down there and they would have me speak to hundreds of inventors in the audience. And I loved it because after that, I told them, I'm like, guys, I'm like, if you have an idea, write it down, categorize it. If you don't have money to patent it, I said, you have to find that five to $600. I'm like, do it yourself then until you can hire someone to do it professionally. Um, Because if you, I have friends who are just patent squatters. They come with ideas and they patent it and they wait on it. And big companies have to come in and buy that off them for it. And they make a living doing that. I'm not saying people should be patent squatters, but I'm saying protect your idea before a patent squatter takes it. Right. And that's a big industry. I'm sure. I'm sure. You mentioned the internet earlier. I would love to talk about how your industry specifically changed so much with social media coming to the surface and how you maybe how you shifted the products that you were working on as far as reaching the end consumer. Yeah. So the internet is obviously all based in data. So data is collected. You can scrape it. You, you look at Facebook um, group pages, you look at Instagram, 
you follow, you can scrape. Um, there's, there's technologies where if I'm looking at your personal Instagram, I can grab everybody's email that's on your Instagram and market to them. And um, it's all about data because that's what makes any company valuable. Um, basically looking at it and saying, you know what, I want the same audience that XYZ has because I'm making a competitive product to them. So let me get all their information and market to them. Is that ethical or moral? It's business. You know, you're not breaking any laws. You're looking at it. You're introducing a product. You have to give somebody an opt out to that email. And basically the, the social media I love because you can literally down to the granular data, a single point of data, look at a person and say, this is my audience. I got to find all that person's friends because people alike follow each other. And um, if I can sell a product to them, I can sell it to all their friends. That's amazing. Yeah. What have you noticed as far as, you know, I think the pro the way that I know the products that you've worked on, the big names is through television. Mm-hmm but how did they shift their, their sales? Television, um, television is still king. If is you it can still? Get, yeah, it's still king. Um, that's why it's so expensive. Radio is mm-hmm. probably vice king. Radio reaches more people than all social media because we're all in a car, we're all listening to something, and podcasts is right up there. That's why now advertising on podcasts is pretty strong. I love radio, I love TV, but a lot of people that I work with um, like your, your surprise that radio still King is that people still watch TV yet hundreds of millions of people still watch TV. So there's just, we live in a metropolitan that we have all these streaming services and all access to high tech, everything, but you forget middle America where the Bible belt, where most of the people that buy from QVC, HSN and all the shopping platforms, that's where they're coming from. So you can still speak to 164 million people in this country, you know, and, and get them to react. I always say, if you can make a passive consumer active, then give me your compelling enough for you to pick up the phone, get on the internet, take out, you know, do whatever you got to do to get, to give me your credit card. I want you to give me your credit card. And so if you actually watch a 30 minute commercial, which they don't happen anymore, a long form now is six, six minutes. So before it was a 30 minute commercial, we all remember how long they were. Now it's six minutes. We figured out we can say the same mentions in six minutes and people are actually watching them more. And there's still a lot of infomercials out there. There's still a lot of direct to consumer commercials. So what makes an infomercial or a transactional commercial is a call to action. So when you see like a Gillette or any of those big names, they don't have a call to action. A call to action means call, click or come in. So there's no phone number, there's no URL and there's no address to come in to visit them. So if you add that, you actually save money on the media cost because now it's a call to action transactional post. A branding commercial like Gillette does, I use Gillette because they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on, look how beautiful my razor is. But they don't, all they have to say is Gillette. They don't have to say Gillette.com. They don't have to say, and you know who they are because they've already embedded into our, into our head. A hundred percent. Right. We know where to find them already. So from your perspective on the products that you've worked on, TV and radio are still king. Correct. Social media is still important. We're going after when I go and look at the social media person, ABC social media person. 
and I look at their audience of like 5 million people and I get all those email addresses or their contact information and I market to them. I'm forgetting the 100 million people that are a part of that listing. You know, social media is very powerful, but it's not very transactional. I mean, just take yourself as a consumer. Do you buy a lot on Instagram? You don't, but you might buy a lot on TV because you'll see a commercial numerous times. You're like, oh my God, I've seen that. I got to see it. And they know you saw that commercial because of where you live. And then they can feed it to you on a banner ad or something else. So you have to hit people everywhere. Um, I mean, when people say, you know, your phone is listening to you. I'm like, I love that. I want the best deal. I don't care if Siri is listening to me. Give me my best vacation, Siri. <laughs> um. I love that. that I mean, it depends on what they're, I mean, they're probably a high tech product and you have to hire professionals, unless you're a high tech person yourself, like an engineer. But if you're making like, we, we did Snuggy Blanket, which was very successful. And originally I didn't want to work on it. I was like, I don't get it guys, a blanket with arms. And so I go to China, I, I develop the product. I make the product. I have it landed in the U S and it does 35 million units in less than three years. And that's, over $750 million. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and um, now we're developing a new one called the Comfeet. So it's a blanket with legs. And I'll make sure you get a couple. <laughs> so yeah, and we got invited this year to be one of the best um, Christmas presents of 22. So we'll be featured. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And the Snuggy was a novelty at best product you bought it to make fun of it you know wow. comfy is actually utilitarian and i'm not saying that because i own it it's when your legs are covered and you're a heavy set person you need that circulation to keep your legs warm when you're a bedridden person you need that circulation and i learned this as i was designing the product and this is the part of your question is you know you have to do a lot of research like real hands-on research we made this blanket I gave it to my friends in wheelchairs because I always wondered why people in wheelchairs covered their legs with a blanket. And I thought it was because they didn't want to see their legs because they didn't work. And that was just me as an ignorant person. <laughs> and my friend Bobby, he was like, no, he goes, we have to keep them covered to keep the circulation moving so they stay warm. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So I gave them a comfort because you know how they're always tucking it under their legs and sitting on the, wow. the bottom part of the blanket. So now when you cover your legs with the comfort, it's fully covered underneath, behind, under your butt. And he calls me up a week after. He mm -hmm. goes, oh, my God, Eddie, this is amazing. So from him telling me that, we donated like a 1,000 of them to my friend's company who works with hundreds of um, nursing homes. And he gave them to nursing homes. And they all wrote letters saying they loved it because they, they can feel their toes. They're not moving the blankets around. And when they lounge on the chair, because, you know, when we watch TV, we look at it basically saying, um, you don't know you're sitting there for hours because you're Netflix and chill. And, you know, so hours go by, but you, you, you're not doing anything, you know, to cover your legs up or, you know, you're just moving blankets around. But most people still get the breeze underneath. But with the comfy, again, it's truly utilitarian. And it's not because we are, um, we own it. It's, it's because we've done a lot of research um, with nursing homes with the VA, with people in wheelchairs, with hospitals. And there was, I mean, jokingly, there was a lot of medical aspects to covering your legs and your feet. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so the um, Snuggy took um, two years to get the NFL license. I love license. that. And Q just sent us a little and sidebar saying you guys got, got NFL launched. licensing as well. Because so that's very exciting. I, I, I know how to work with people, and I was part of the conversations originally. So I knew what they would want and what they would need. So going into the, the licensing um, group for the NFL is actually in downtown L.A. So and I didn't know that. I thought it would be like Dallas or somewhere else, you know. And once I found it was here, I went down there, took them all to lunch, and I'm like, how do we wow. do this? And they remember how much money they made off Snuggy, and they loved it. So I don't know anything about football. And I know Q's favorite team is the Steelers or the Raiders. I know it's the Raiders. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, and I would give him, you know, give him his, you know, his blanket with the Raiders on it, and that would be just amazing. And now with their new Raiders, <laughs> you, can, you know, give them away there as, you know, and, and sell them also. You know, so and I work with artists who will have their logo, their logo and their brand on it so they can throw them out into the audience. And it, it's a blanket that turns into a pillow, you know, that covers your legs. And again, we'll send you a couple and you'll love it. That's awesome. Thank you so much. As far as timelines, what is the shortest timeline that you've worked on a product to bring it to market? And then what is the longest timeline? I know that you've mentioned, you know, GoPro was 10 years. What has your experience been with like the range of timelines for products? Just to kind of give an idea of patience. And we talk a lot about patience on the, on the show and, you know, putting in your, putting in your time and they say, you know, an overnight success is, I mean, you know, I, 20 I years develop, or so. Mine was certainly 20 years. So um, right I'm curious to know From, what, what your with experience with timelines is. To making actual prototypes that are functional MVP prototypes. That took me 10 days because I know what I'm doing. So when I gave her the product, her samples back to her, she cried. Q and his team shot the commercial just to, for us to use that, that reel to show retailers. And... We go to market, and um, if we kept moving everything forward, and she she had her budget, she has to pay us. Um, we would have been able to launch her product from her, her idea to to TV and retail in probably less than sixty days. And it's a product that covers your, your sport cleat, any type of cleat. You put it on, you, you slip your cleat into wow. this product, and it, and it protects your cleat, so you don't have to wear two carry two different sneakers. It protects your cleats from walking on sidewalks and, you know, everything else. And it's a simple product that I'm surprised it wasn't invented before. So I actually helped her write the patent and everything else because when someone has an idea that can be this big, I call it evergreen. Evergreen means forever. So like George Foreman is an evergreen product. Magic Bullet is an evergreen product because you know the name. You know what it is. And um, her product will Mm -hmm. become evergreen because it's going to – it costs very little to make. And she'll have a, a healthy margin on it. And it's a product that every soccer mom is going to want. Because the way we shot, uh, Q shot the commercial was, do you want to save your floors from being scuffed and your rugs from being pilled? You know, when the kids come home from their soccer games and they run in the house and they're scratching your tile and they're scuffing your wood floors and they're pulling your rug apart, you know, the soles um, cover will, will save your, your floors. Right. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So when a, when a client comes to you, and I know that you have clients that probably approach you in all different phases oh. of, of, you know, 
100 percent product development so i never but take on a when someone comes to you with just an idea model. do you give them a so timeline are you like oh yeah we can't launch product, this in 60 days or retail, what does that look like those are the only two numbers i actually need how much does it cost to make the product the, the cost of goods mm-hmm. and how much are you going to sell it for from there i don't need your help as a client i will i will call the, the advertisers the media houses and everyone wants to get all my other numbers that i need i come back to them and say you're going to need x amount of dollars to launch this within 15 months and i say 15 months because the first six months you're still testing media after that is your tipping point where it starts going well um, we're working on a product right now called myfreepharmacy.com um, they already existed for four years but they're at a um, a peak where they haven't grown so they knew that i used to own another company called um, the medicine cabinet in the same industry and so they hired, they hired us to help make their name bigger. So we took over their social media. Well, I shouldn't say take over. They had no social media. And I was surprised how they grew um, for four years with no social media, no social media presence at all. And because their, their product is you get $19.95 a month, you get all your generic medications or your prescriptions for free. No shipping costs, no hidden mm-hmm. fees. That's a product that everyone in the country needs. So... I want to go quickly back to the 15 yeah, month timeline that concept, you that you mentioned. Is that 15 first, months once me, you have the product in hand, or is that 15 months including when someone comes meaning, to you just with an idea? I don't a laser gun. You know, <laughs> if it's a non high tech product, I can usually develop the product in less than 90 days. I don't care if it's a new air fryer, a new toaster, a new mop, a new vacuum. It doesn't matter. I can generally make anything in less than 90 days, and that include that's in part of the the, the 15 months. That's amazing. That's amazing. What does, I so know that you my like social media to, team, you know, operate, we have about 40 you know, lean with your clients, but um, there is value in hiring folks. Side of it. What does She's your team, team look like? Um, I have my graphic artists. There's two of them. I mean, I do all the graphics myself at the beginning. Then I have a professional really tighten it up because I always tell people I'm colorblind. You know, um, I draw everything in black and white because I truly believe if a logo doesn't look good in black and white, it doesn't look good in color. So I draw everything in black and white, then I have the experts colorize it because that's a skill set I don't have. That's amazing. That's such good advice. And I think it's interesting that you're saying that because we, with my logo, it was originally designed in uh, gold and silver metallic, but we actually recently have moved it over to a little monochromatic, all black or all white kind of look to um, make it more universal. A hundred years ago, it's going to look good a hundred years from now. Yes. That's amazing. What does your daily schedule like? And I know that's a silly question, especially talking to an entrepreneur, because it could be anything across mm-hmm. the board. But are there, yeah, tell so, me about a day um, in the life, morning, but also I, tell me, I, are there I'm any consistencies that you do o'clock. have as far as I like morning routine or at this hour I do this? Or tell me about what that looks like for you. Um, because I work with the East Coast. Um, I grew up on the East Coast doing this. So I would, you know, wait for California to wake up so I can call them. But you know, now it's the opposite. Now I have to, I have mm. to wake up earlier and I stay up late. So from six o'clock to 11, I generally get my entire day done because I'm a morning person. I, if any negotiations have to happen in, um, on a contract, I want to do it in the morning because 
I am sharper than the next person because I'm a morning person. If you ask me to negotiate something at five o'clock, I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, and so at night when I'm done hanging out and you know, yeah, not gonna I finish happen. At 11, not gonna happen. Um, That's so great. From eleven thirty to like three, I see clients. I hang out with my friends or whatever, and then from like five on to almost midnight. I talk to China or somewhere overseas. And that's my routine. It's been my routine for 31 years. Ah. When did you find that sweet spot of a routine for yourself? And when did you know that you were a morning person? Yeah. I feel like I'm constantly no, trying to figure I've out if I'm better in the evening because, or in the morning. I think that um, my personal, I, mean, I feel like I, I change. Know, my body is ever know, every evolving. Time I travel, when did you learn like, that of oh yourself? God, I need eight cups of coffee or whatever. I jump out of bed like, let's go. Mm -hmm. um, if you know me and if you ever see me, I can go to sleep like this because I've trained my brain to fall asleep. I'm, I'm asleep in less than three minutes as soon as I hit the bed. And I've been like that my entire life. Yeah, I mean, sleep is so important. Wow. And I, I sleep good. Like, people's like, do you get good sleep? I'm like, no, I sleep good because I That's train my brain set. to shut down. Like, you could watch TV. I could be laying in bed. You could be watching TV. You can have a party. If I'm asleep, you don't bother me. I don't hear it. I shut it out. Um, No more than six, you know. No more than six. That's I'm, amazing. That's amazing. I, How I many hours do you say you sleep at night? Six. <laughs> Um, you know, I love reading. I read a book a week and that's yeah, amazing. And I always what tell people, else occupies your time? You need to what always else? learn, yeah. you know, and wow. if you're not learning, what are you doing? Like every conversation I have, like with you, I'm learning to be better at the next interview. Um, so I'm always reading something about someone who built something, you know, books from CEOs, present and past, um, future entrepreneurs. I mean, I just love reading. I can't read like Harry Potter. It just makes no sense to me. <laughs> but I ha I love documentaries. I love biographies. You know, and I do. I, I mean, since I was a kid, my dad was a doctor. And, you know, he always said you should read as much as you can because no one can take your education from you. And since I can't remember, my first book I read when I was 15, 1984, um, I think, yeah, um, was The Art of the Deal, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So I read that book probably once a year just because he oh 100 percent. there's no yeah it's just yeah just like when you see a movie so you do repeat like, books again. you think that that's like, important oh, for you to, to repeat but you feel like you so maybe take new information and, every time you, know, you read it the sad thing is i don't know if it's sad but i can take a 300 page book and read it in an hour so um that's with that's in my perfect scope. Like I have my cup of coffee or tea. I have my headset on. I listen to binary wow. beats. It's not, I don't listen to music, and I listen to binary beats. It keeps me focused, and I know that I block out my my you know hour ninety minutes just to soak into that book and become that book, and and I'm done. Then I go back to work. Um, I generally do it in the evening, so. Like last night, I, I, I read. That's amazing. Where in the day do you fit in reading? Because I'm looking, I'm trying to do research because that's another thing that entrepreneurs need in the to evening. learn. You need to do the groundwork yourself. So if you're looking to create a new widget, then go on patents.google, go on patents.uspto.com, um, mm -hmm. 
www.ghostbusters.gov. And just even if you know what you're looking for, you know what category you're looking for. So if you're looking, if you're creating a new phone case, then type in phone case, type in keywords. It's real simple to use. You know, algorithms are real simple. It'll find everything with the words phone and case. And you just have to do the homework. And because as an entrepreneur, and I'm still, I mean, I'm, I still do everything lean and mean. And I still do all the patent searches myself because it saves a client thousands of dollars because I'd rather have them pay me those thousands of dollars than the patent attorney. Because then when I give it to the patent attorney, I'm like, here's the file, here's all the patents, here's the keynotes, here's the abstracts. I've already done the research. Um, here's my overview summary of what this patent should look like. And they love me because I make their job easier. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that advice of doing the groundwork yourself. You mentioned, we mentioned briefly so the NFL licensing of the um, Comfy, stable company that you guys you are partnering together. What does the licensing process look like? Brand. Obviously, their brand is worth billions of dollars. And a lot of people don't don't know that the NFL is a nonprofit organization, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, 501E. Yeah, they're filed as a nonprofit. Um, but they... Um, they're very, is it really? like, just like the Super Bowl, you know, Super Bowl week. Wow. You can't say Super wow. Bowl. You can say the big game. They're very protective of their brands. So to be, because I did Snuggy and other products that had NFL license, I'm attached. My name is attached to that. They look at it and go, you know what? He's got everything set up. And I showed them the manufacturing contracts. I showed them who the manufacturer is, basically the, the factory that's going to cut, sew, and package the product. My, my insurance policy that protects them. So if something does happen, I have a... a a coverage, um, a product development coverage that protects them. So if they sold, if they helped sell a hundred, uh, a million units and Walmart didn't go to those million units because it stuck on a boat or the boat sank or whatever, my insurance policy will cover their losses and mine. So, that, I mean, there's a lot of things that entrepreneurs don't look at when they're launching, when they're doing something. I have a checklist. It doesn't matter what kind of company you're That's trying amazing. to launch. My checklist covers every industry, every category of product. It doesn't matter if you're building a phone app to an actual phone. It's the same questions. It's the same questions on a CI way, CYA, cover your ass. Because you have to do certain things to become a, a brand. <laughs> Well, I have, I, I have, I have five amazing. clients in development. What's next for you? You right said you have about five clients right now, but what <laughs> so, is, um, what's in the pipeline? What is next? Yeah. As long as they're, um, we're under contract, we still manage amazing. them. Um, That's amazing. So like even, like even the once the product launches, you, um, your company still manages first, I would say that. six years of my career. I only made the product. That's I amazing. was the grant that went and made your product that did help design it, that worked with the engineers and everything else. Then the clients liked me because I'm always looking out for them and basically says, Eddie, can you help us manage the campaign? And then they would hire me to look at the media houses, making sure they're not being charged too much or whatever it might be, the, the trucking companies to get the product back and forth. And um, that's why I love technology because all the things I'm talking about now, an entrepreneur can do themselves from the bookkeeping to the logistics, to the fulfillment, to all of these things. I mean, I can give you a list of all the websites that I would tell an entrepreneur to to pay a membership to. It would just make their life much easier. 
hundred percent. There's a, yeah. I love that. I love that. So there is value. Yeah, I mean, outsourcing is not There's, a bad you know, word. Like a lot of people that an entrepreneur needs to they, do the grunt work ourselves, the but then also there's so the much house. value in outsourcing. No. If you're not an engineering company, then why do you need to have the engineers? You know, hire the experts. It's actually cheaper for you to outsource because you're not paying their benefits and insurances. You're not paying their payroll. You're paying a fixed amount of money for them to deliver your your product. So. If let's just say it's a hundred thousand dollars and they go over budget because they budgeted wrong, they still got to deliver. They have a, a contract. So, and I, I keep them to that. That's awesome. That's awesome. How, if someone is listening to this show yeah, and they, they say, Oh my gosh, my, um, I've website, been searching for an Eddie, how would someone get in contact with you? Somebody look at it. How, does, how would someone so, go we'll about working with you? Call back and say, Hey, what's your, what do you have? And I'll do a Zoom call with them. And, you know, all that stuff costs nothing. And a conversation is worth a million bucks because I have all the knowledge. I won't say all the knowledge in the world, but I have 31 years of knowledge, billions of dollars of, of experience. And I've made 166 products that you've seen on TV. And and I love it. It doesn't matter what the category is. So when somebody says, oh, maybe he doesn't know how to make, you know, underwear. I actually have made underwear, you know, just because my name's not on it doesn't mean I haven't worked on it. But I'm really good at textiles, you know, cut and sew products. I love every category. There's very few categories I don't like. There you go. And That's I love amazing. jewelry, well, girl. Well, you and I might be in chats very soon because there's <laughs> yeah, a couple jewelry. products that not, are jewelry-related but not jewelry-specific that I've and been, I give them away that and been ruminating for a very long time. Calls, I'm not interested. We'll talk. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. It's so therapeutic. It's so wonderful. Well, Eddie, thank you there so much you for coming on the show. You are such a wealth no, of thank knowledge. You for I'm so inspired I'm by have, your you know, story, and I've you got and all the wheels turning in my head you know, to create you, all these new products. So question, thank you so much just for, give me a call. for you know, taking I'm, the time. I'm very transparent. I'm very open to talking to people. You know, I always tell people, you know, the easiest thing is if you're local, take me to lunch and I'll answer your questions. You know, that's why I'm not lean. <laughs> the best. <laughs> You too. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much. You're you're such a blessing, and and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You're so welcome. Ladies and gents, that interview was just beyond. A big thank you to Eddie for coming on the show, and another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and our producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people like Eddie and conversations that you love. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostelloRadio on Instagram. Have the most beautiful day. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week.